0: This episode is sponsored by Eternal Inc. and Machine Machine Co. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Books Closed. I'm Andrew Stortz, and this is a very special episode. You're about to hear an interview that was done 15 years ago, and not by me. This is an interview with Lyle Tuttle that past guest of the show, Taki Kitamura, had conducted... And I had to pull this thing off of cassette tapes. I'm talking cassette tapes, side A, side B, you know what I'm saying, or maybe you don't. A few months ago, Taki had mentioned to me that he had this interview with Lyle that was just sitting on a shelf, and no one has ever really heard it. And he asked if I would be interested in sharing it on the podcast. It was a no-brainer to me because that's an opportunity that you don't get every day to hear candid conversation with someone like Lyle Tuttle. I'll share with you now a little precursor to this interview that Taki emailed to me the other day. He says, My interview with Lyle Tuttle. The recent passing of tattoo legend Lyle Tuttle had me reminiscing about the time I visited him at his home in Ukiah 15 years ago. I was working on a book project, one that was never completed, and wanted to interview Lyle about his life and his expert opinion in defining traditional tattoo motifs. I was welcomed into Lyle's home and immediately offered a drink at 11 a.m., thanks to the introductory phone call from Ed Hardy, who was adamant that I get Lyle's perspective. Lyle was the most gracious of hosts and interviewees, and the day will be one I will remember fondly forever. Years passed, and I forgot about the tapes laying dormant in my bookshelf. For every book or project I've successfully completed, at least a dozen fall by the wayside. At least in this case, the tape can finally be published and reach the audience that it should. I'm excited to share this interview on such a great platform and hope that it will provide some comfort for those missing Lyle, as well as an insight into his hilarious personality and vast knowledge for those who never had the pleasure of meeting him. He truly was one of the great characters of tattooing and will never be forgotten. Thank you, Andrew and Books Closed for sharing this bit of tattoo history. Well, thank you, Talkie, because you're the one that's doing a great thing here. This was a really fun interview to listen to as I put this together and... Um, it's a little bit all over the place. You can kind of tell that Lyle's rummaging through things in whatever room that they were in and showing Talkie a bunch of stuff as they went. And It's just super relaxed, and I think it's a great window into the person that was Lyle Tuttle. So let's transport back now 15 years. So we're going to call it 2004 was when this was recorded on cassette tapes. The audio recording gear that I have available to me now certainly wasn't available back then, so let's cut Talkie some slack. So here we go. Here's Lyle Tuttle. The Lost Tapes.
1: Okay, so um I'd actually like to start just from the very beginning, just born and kind of stuff and go from there.
2: Well, first of all they call it the what, precambrian Oh <laughs> <laughs> um, god. Um I told the story so fucking times I know, I'm, I'm sorry, that. I just need to get it. <laughs> You got to flip flop around. That's I think is some of the reason that you uh, exaggerate in some stories is you're just doing it to entertain yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like I was raised in this house here, Uh and um, when I um, well, that was from the fifth grade, but that's far back. They uh, if you saw a tattoo around around Ukiah here, Uh that was hot shit. And if you picked up a magazine and, and spotted a tattoo or something, it was hot shit. I mean, it was just tattooing, it was just non existent. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it was, people would talk bad about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even people that wore them. You know, they this sort of maybe been beat down by social pressure or something. Uh-huh. Um, I did a. A, a small book called The Patriotic and uh, Historic and Patriotic Tattoos, and in that I uh, wound up explaining about the syndrome of why people back then, with their tattoos, would get turned off on them and be sorry of them and make excuses of why they got the goddamn thing <laughs> in like almost temporary insanity or something. <laughs> it's not that way nowadays, but but so I don't know. I was just attracted to it and it was just Jack London said that show me a man with a tattoo and you'll uh, find somebody with a rich and interesting past or something so it meant when I saw a tattoo on somebody I knew that somebody had been all the way to Frisco and it was like it was a, I, I think of them as travel marks. Uh-huh. I think of my tattoos as drunken Yokohama tattoos <laughs> uh, Going to us somebody and making an appointment and working mm-hmm. the design out with the artist who is going to take and look into your psyche to make and do the design to that. I mean that's horseshit. <laughs> you go pick a tattoo out, or you see one, or it, it doesn't make a damn what it is. Uh, but you commemorate a situation, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: a bonding of some kind, possibly with a, with a woman or comrades or or something. So I mean they they had some meaning. They're more than a pretty picture on the skin. Mm -hmm. So I, at 14 I made my, I called it my first escape out of here, Uh but it wasn't, my parents knew that I was going down on the Greyhound bus to San Francisco and they trusted me enough at that young age. What year
1: was this? 1946.
2: 1946, okay, just to get a reference. You know, World War World War Two was just over. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, San Francisco Market Street was crowded with servicemen. There was zillions of people in uh-huh. the service there. And I went down there, and on that trip, I wound up running across the tattoo shop and looked in the door, and bingo! I had a tattoo on me so fast that, <laughs> it made my head swim. And, and there was an age slip and everything, but it just bingo bing, went right over. And, in fact, the age limit had, I think, just came in in 1946. Uh-huh. But I was not cognizant of that at all. Right. So I came home, and I was, like, proud as a peacock, you know, with that. Mm-hmm. Like right there it is. It's a art with Mother. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. It's got, you know, trespassed upon. But, and you know, it's that this little deal here was right, like, right here. I can still read it. I can still see what it is. And your mother, the whole business, you know. And that's, uh, Jesus Christ, that's 58 years old. That's been there for 58 years. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, and that was what I was talking about a little while ago, about tattoos. Well, I guess it was talking to Trace about it, but I see my tattoos at 40 years old or something, and the lines are straight, and the black shading is in there, and Mm -hmm. it's good. But then they're simple. They're traditional designs. Yes. I mean, ultra traditional. Right, right. And so, because we prided ourselves on being able to put tattoos on fast. I mean, mm-hmm. we were gunfighters right. in the yeah. art department. And, and uh, so I came back up here and immediately um, got the sewing needles, thread, and matchstick. <laughs> and started, <laughs> you, you know... know putting tattoos on my um, things, but I had actually done that before. Uh, I went to San Francisco and got that tattoo. So maybe I went to San Francisco, it was a damn long ago, I don't know total truth anymore. But, um, because I know, I guess maybe it was when I came back and I got that first tattoo that that's when I started Mm hand-hooking. But if you went into a tattoo shop in those days and you asked somebody that you want to be a tattoo artist, it was like hitting the brick wall. Mm -hmm. I mean, you couldn't get hit harder than anything other than a brick wall or a battleship. Um, it wound up that um, Chris Nelson down in San Francisco, years ago, he would—if you asked him a question about tattooing, he would warn you that if you asked another question, that brown paper bag was going over your head, and he wouldn't even <laughs> allow you to look. And you wasn't hyperventilating, you know. So. That's, it had charm, man. <laughs> I mean, that was charming. <laughs> so anyhow, I finally threw my, my father was a general contractor, and it wound up that he was building a, a school over here in Lake County, mm-hmm. 30 miles or so east of here. And the guy that was doing the glazing, this is my daughter Suzanne. I right. uh, Talk, I talk to Right? Yes, talk. Talk, by God, I got it right the first time. <laughs> You know what happens is that I don't have developed a real memory for names uh-huh. because at convention stuff everybody knows my name right, and they come up and' it just names aren't exchanged and uh
1: I think it's also being the tattooer because you get customers that are like, hey, and you know, to them it was a big deal getting tattooed. Sure, but to you, you did five that day, and I'll, I'll, they I'll, were the second one. And, you know, it's
2: part of the I thing. Well, I generally say, "Show me the tattoo," and I'll tell you the <laughs> yeah. co- and then yeah. I'll tell you the conversation we had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I have got a phenomenal memory on that shit because <laughs> <laughs> I have I have tattooed in a long time. So that was it, I just, you know, and then when I got home, I remember coming home on the bus that night, Greyhound bus, I went down the Greyhound bus, come back in the Greyhound bus, didn't leave the, away from the Greyhound bus station very far either. And then the ironic thing is that I tattooed next to that Greyhound bus station for 29 years, uh, for 29 and a half years, right next to that bus station, closer to the bus station than the place I originally got tattooed in. But I'm just trying to figure out, now that, that that was just a new thought of a correlation. The time is, 1946, I got my first tattoo, and then I moved in there in 1960, so that was 16 yeah. years later? Yeah. 16 no, years? 14 years later. 14 years later. So you okay. would be 28, I believe, if you went there, you said you were 14. So yeah. First I guess I was 28 when I moved right. in there because... Uh, I, I, tw- I, I might have it right here. If my, if, if not, it's out near the warehouse. Um, I saw that. So it must be out there in the inside. When I did the 25th anniversary of that tattoo shop, uh-huh. I didn't do a closing thing because that Loma Prieta earthquake got it yellow-tagged, the building, and I was on the second floor. No. Reinforcing steel in that uh-huh. building. If that son of a bitch goes down in the accordion, <laughs> well, screw that. Yeah. You know. So that's the reason I moved out of there. Uh huh. But I. So I didn't have a party. So I couldn't have a couple hundred people up there the happen and a shake happening. Kill like a couple yeah. hundred people and I lived. What a lawsuit I'd have on my hands. <laughs> but, but, uh, anyhow, I had tattooed. It was either 10 or 11 years, I guess it was uh, 11 years, um, and then had settled into that shop, then I was there 29 and a half years. And then that thing's been closed for 15 years. (laughs) I only own a tattoo shop now. Because the one in San Francisco that bears my name is is a royalty thing with right. name, and then uh, I sold it to Tanya, and you probably met Tanya. I've seen the shop, yeah. Yeah, but you've you met Tanya, she's a blonde-haired German girl? I actually stopped in there but she was tattooing, and I don't like to you know, <laughs> <laughs> do that. Right, and well, you get yeah. stiffed a lot of times. You go into a tattoo shop, and you say you're a tattoo artist, and it isn't this bad thing. They generally jump up and kiss you right on the fucking mouth. <laughs> I mean, it's, they're it's, they're too peaceful. But back years ago, you didn't go in and announce you was a tattoo artist. Because first of all, well, first of all, any information that they would pass out because tattooing wasn't in in a good light, mm-hmm. and business wasn't that good. So you wanting to be a tattoo artist, all you was doing was they well, the jungle. It was competition they mm-hmm. so run all the young males off right <laughs> and then the old male finally gets whipped someday yeah. he goes down but it was the same way it was, it was competition and and tattooers were like dogs mm-hmm. they would run around and piss on a territory and that was theirs yeah. some people worked like within a 50 mile radius mm-hmm. you don't come within 50 miles of me
1: that's
2: an east Coast thing but but now it's entirely different, they have tattoo suppliers fucking catalogs in their waiting rooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. Well let's talk about that, I mean, cause you <laughs> see everything
2: changing, I mean, you've seen it go... I've seen the whole, you know? I, well I haven't seen, yeah I've seen the whole gamut of... I think, yeah. Because tattooing from the turn of the century, what, 1800s, 1900s, they had like World War One, mm-hmm. then they had World War Two, and those were both booms, Mm -hmm. but then they starved to death in between, but everybody else did too, because he had the great Depression. But tattooers were better equipped, because they could barter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, when they go to Mexico, or used. well, Jack Rudy was going to Mexico, and I says, well, how many goddamn pigs and chickens can you haul back? (laughs) 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 I've been down at conventions, but I'm not... Transporting no pigs and chickens, and they they just don't have a good economy. (laughs) But there's still there's the haves the have-nots everywhere. So there's the the haves find their way. (laughs) (laughs) Can
1: we talk a bit about some of your travels? Because I mean, you know, you got you got the Samoa and Japan, and I mean, you've pretty much
2: been all over. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I'm the most fortunate guy in the world. I mean, just truthfully I've had the most fortunate life in the world there's a few days that I look at it right now I don't think it's that hot but you know but just in retrospect it's been it's been ideal because well I sort of sort of had the idea that when I came home with that first tattoo they was mm-hmm. people treated me like I was stung by the devil <laughs> no shit I mean I had somebody uh, my only parental counseling on my tattoos was that my dad, in the kitchen sink in there one day, and I come up and stood alongside of him and was doing something. give me a little bit of advice and it was it was so esoteric that you, you know you have to really look at it. He just said that sometimes a young man will do something in his youth mm-hmm. that in later life will regret for mm-hmm. something in that order. I don't know just exactly how it was. Um, So that was my counseling right there. And then my educational counseling was he would say, I'll send the kid to any goddamn college or university he wants to go to. And that was it. Uh, Not the greatest in the world because I dropped out of high school and saved him money. (laughs) And I'm sure that didn't disappoint him in the least. (laughs) But anyhow, that's a... And then there was a... I don't know even how it happened, but I know one time there was a mother that said something. It was like... And then I told you about the, my daughter's friend. She was up here for the uh, that barbecue and was telling about it. This gal is, is an ass kicker today. She's like... Um, God, I can't... It was, it's not a water, but her last name. But any, My daughter will be in to find out. But, um, she's a... a she does those half iron men um, that women do. Oh, like the, the bicycle, uh-huh, the swimming, uh-huh. and then what the hell's the other one? Though? Running,
1: I think. I think and, it's running. And yeah. she
2: runs. Uh, she was out there just say, oh, she's I'm just, I guess she doesn't work. Her husband's a contractor. She said, oh, I just don't do nothing but uh, go out and raise money. Because she goes out and runs these marathons for raising money for just, you know breast cancer, things like that. So, and then she's went to Hawaii and that one that's off Waikiki, that rough water swim. Okay. See, they had to, it got so goddamn rough when she swam it, they had to come out there in helicopters (laughs) and rescue them. (laughs) She said she swam for over an hour because I guess, I don't know if it's a built-in clock or whatever it is, swam over an hour and she Stuck her head up out to take a look, and she said, "I was no closer to that boy <laughs> than when I started, or, or something." Yeah, Last yeah. time she looked, I mean, they was making no progress. Right. <laughs> so that's about the time I think she hailed a helicopter or something. You spoke weed? i oh, alright. Okay. Uh, so travels, being a fort- most fortunate man, I get off the subject, but that's alright. Uh, it it winds up that. Uh, so I was a I was a professional tattooer, and probably professional in into the sense that I thought of everything as like speed. I mean, we had military paydays and things those days, and you got a guy for two days. You got like people lined up, and then for fifteen days or thirty days waiting for the next payday, you didn't have nobody. So you got to make you know, hey, well. Kurt Grimm. He said the reason he was so fast, he said those Mississippi River boats are not in too long. (laughs) And he was in St. Louis, Uh Missouri. So, and that's an incentive to work fast. And every time you push the person away and admire your work, it costs you two bucks. (laughs) So, um, but anytime that I had the, the, uh, I got the shop properly staffed mm-hmm. with a good manager i was gone i mean when when work time when it was time for me to work and a couple times i've fired everybody that worked for me and just worked by myself and then mm-hmm. sort of like build up a new crew but they've got to the point that they wasn't any good to themselves what the fuck do i want around right <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. so um it um, So I would take off and travel, and what was my number one interest? You know, like tattooing has consumed my whole fucking life. I mean, I was—I should be pissed off, devoured. We'd like to see my psychiatrist next. (laughs) Don't have a psychiatrist, but um, but it well, I don't have very little tattoo stuff in the house. Uh This is right now is is the least humid place for that that I have. People say, why do you hang it upside down? And I said, well, because the hooks are rotted off the, <laughs> the bottom, which is should be the top. And I had it laid on the floor back over here, and I'd be a son of a bitch if people wouldn't walk in the front door. Walk in the front door, and walk right over there, and walk over, thinking it was a rug. And one bastard wiped his feet off. <laughs> I... <laughs> So that was, that was, that, this guy's name is Gus uh, Wagner. You're uh-huh. welcome to use it if you ever want to mention this. This is, it, it was Gus Wagner, no relation to Charlie Wagner. And in 1904, at the St. Louis World's Fair, uh, it met this lady. And by 1910, he had her tattooed all over.
1: Uh huh. Uh-huh.
2: Her name was Maud Wagner. Maude Stevens Wagner. So Maude Stevens was her maiden name, and you've probably seen pictures of her, because she'll have a a tiara with her hair up in the back and sort of a real stately-looking woman. Mm -hmm. And so they got married, and I've got a picture, and the back view of this canvas is in the picture, where I believe where this is at, it's a big picture, is rotted off. And it was in this same water damage. And it was stored in a house in Kansas. So anyhow, what? So that was. It's a picture that was taken in 1915. So that's the way I'm dating the picture. Right, right. You know, time. So that was painted between the time he tattooed her mm-hmm. over. Of course, she did not have to be tattooed over to get it painted, but still.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um. I'll get a photo okay. of you in front of that later. Okay. Yeah, was actually, when I walked in, I was
2: like, how
1: the hell is that upside down? Uh, I am not mind my own business. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and, you know, and, and Charles Gatewood wrote that, that article, I call it jokingly skin and paint, but yeah. skin and ink. And uh, I don't know, he's got something there, but I've got a. a I asked him to read the article. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, so he did send it to me, and I didn't correct one goddamn thing in it. There were some things I wanted to correct in it, but I'm not. they were such little mistakes that don't make a big rat's ass to me, and I don't want to be a no prima donna. Yeah, yeah. I could have said something about the some sense of humor or something that he had, but I thought, well, he thought it was funny at the time, and <laughs> <laughs> it, it, he's not scathing me, really. you know, not because they can. What the that guy saying? He's an Englishman. I got a joke about i bisexual. If I can't get it free, I'll buy it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this guy writes the goddamn thing in the interview, but he just goes down to the Lionel States he's bisexual and ended the paragraph. You <laughs> <The> motherfucker. <laughs> Great. So I, <laughs> so I so I called him up. And I said, "Look, and I said, if I, if I get hit on, I'm sending them to you." Yeah, yeah. And then also, um, it's coming out in a German magazine. You told me now I want it corrected before it goes to Europe. <laughs> you go to Europe, right? yeah, yeah. And okay. I I have never nobody's ever said a word about that. <laughs> so maybe people don't read that shit, or I intimidate them, or. <laughs> Whatever it is, I get it. Just, it just, it's <laughs> I went and spent the weekend one time with uh, Sid Diller. Okay. Sailor Sid. Sailor Sid, yeah. Houston, Texas. I think it was like 86 or something, and I had screwed around not making reservations that I usually think that a little Lord Foncleroy and I can go in and the promoters will have a room for me. Right, you know? right. right. <laughs> and, <laughs> wrong this time. And So I wound up, and I, it was a Thursday night, it was dead. Tattoo conventions weren't the big things they are today. I'm going to Pomona, the world's largest tattoo convention in like a week and a half, right? And um, so I said, well, I'm going to have to get on my horse, and we're in Texas, Mm -hmm. and ride down the road here and get myself a room because they're out here. Mm -hmm. And so Sailor Sid says, well, there's two queen-size beds in my room. And, But you probably wouldn't want to stay with me. And I said, Sid, you're a gentleman. It's, I remember saying that back to him. So we sat around and talked for quite a while. And then everybody started splitting. I said, all right, Sid, let's go start some rumors. <laughs> so I spent the weekend with yeah, him up yeah. there. The words S-E-X in any form was never mentioned in that room between us. I mean, it was like... <laughs> You know, we both skirted the subject, <laughs> I'm sure. And he was so happy that I stayed with him, that he wouldn't take, I offered pay him, my yeah, money, yeah. and the weekend, my half. Yeah, yeah. And he said, oh, no, don't worry about it. But I got hit on by three guys that weekend. <laughs> One of them was at Dr. Lemus. Uh, I don't know. He's the guy that pissed Ed off so bad about <laughs> turning the starting that... Um, putting out a book about tattoo facts a long time ago in the early 70s and sort of quoted Ed or something, and uh, so Ed quit tattooing him, and then Raven picked him up and started tattooing him. He was a doctor, his name was Lemus, L-E-M-E-S, I think. Well he hit on me, but I mean that was, I probably hadn't noticed, but it's when they quit hitting on you the time that you want to start worrying. (laughs) There was so many characters in the tattoo business. I mean, really righteous characters. That uh, it was fun, mm-hmm. you know. And now I guess maybe those characters are there, but they're off with it. Um, I don't know. I just can't, can't, hard to warm up with a friendship with a guy that's wearing goddamn uh, that uh, skateboard pants, <laughs> you know. The shorts and then the, the ass of the pants come down just about to the hem of the, the legs. I always tell them when we we're out, and I'll be sort of joking about that in a way, but it's a uh, little we'll be, we'll be oh a bunch of us go out to dinner I say alright, just remember I'm your parole officer <laughs> and that's what everybody else is going to think. Yeah. <laughs> The principal of the high school. I'm going to be their goddamn parole officer. Because <laughs> they all got tattoos hanging out. Well, you, you, you're you not conservative. I see them in their hair. And uh, now poor Ralph Johnstone. He had his hands tattooed. And he had a panther across his throat. And he had a frog of some kind that, that was on the back of his head. And then his hair got real light. Oh. <laughs> so he was hot shit in the tattoo shop. It was normal, but the minute he hit the door, he always wore oversized sport coats. Mm-hmm. And this is back in the day when you wore, everybody wore sport coats. I mean, there was some kind of a clothing coat. I think that was, I was attracted to San Francisco more than I was to tattoo it at the time. I mean, I went down to San Francisco because it was like, this, you know, this is a, you got to classify this as a rural community. Mm-hmm. Yes. Loggers and stuff, they used to have a lot of trees on it before they murdered them all. And um, so San Francisco was suave and sophisticated. Then I started coming up here to Uki all the time, and here they're driving like big four-wheel drive pickups, and they've got Jordache jeans on, and they went down and they had had their hair blow-dried, and everybody in Frisco looked like a fucking buffalo hunter. (laughs) And what a rude awakening, you know? But everything I found charming about San Francisco back then don't interest me in the least. Uh, you know, it's... Um... I went, I went down for the raunchier side of life, I guess, that's what I used to do, Sort of halfway say, and it was. It was because my parents were conservative and were both born on a farm in Iowa. And... Um, so they were conservative Iowa farmers. And uh, they say you're not raised by your mother, you're raised by your grandmother. So that would be my great great grandmothers if they was being raised by. And because you're, it's the, her philosophy's passed off to the child.
0: A big thank you to Eternal Inc. for sponsoring this episode. You've heard about Eternal Ink quality. It's time to experience it. Have you been tempted to try Eternal Ink? Their 12 color sample set is a great way to experience the remarkable quality of Eternal Inks. With these 12 hues, you'll have all the primary colors, the secondary colors, and more. If you've never used Eternal Ink, this is the perfect intro to the eternal world of color. Sample sets include white, lining black, lipstick red, bright orange, dark brown, caramel, bumblebee, lime green, robin egg, true blue, light purple, and light magenta. And I can say from experience, I've used many of these colors for many years, and they are great. And I'm not just saying that because Eternal Ink is saying nice things about me. And an even better reason to give them a go, if you have not yet, is that if you head over to eternaltattoosupply.com right now, They are offering a 20% discount off their full retail price on all Eternal Ink Colors when you use the promo code BOOKSCLOSED at checkout. This offer includes both single bottles and full sets in all available sizes. It excludes combination with other offers, and it's not to be used with the Color of the Week promotion. So again, head over to eternaltattoosupply.com, use the promo code BOOKSCLOSED at checkout, and get 20% off the purchase of all of your Eternal Ink Colors. Are you feeling lost, hopeless, unsure what to do about spring breaks? And I'm not talking about your annual vacation to Myrtle Beach. I'm talking about when your spring snaps in two while you're tattooing. Don't just give up and trade all your coil machines for rotaries. Machine Machine is here to give you the goods, offering online video workshops to professional tattooers that will teach machine function, differences between liners and shaders, and a better understanding of the physics behind springs and their relation to frame geometry. Don't be ashamed that you're holding something in your hand every day that you know nothing about. This is an opportunity for all you tattooers to up your game and get in control of your equipment. There are no enrollment periods anymore, so sign up now and start your course today. Use code BOOKSCLOSED when signing up to get $50 off. It's all happening now at machinemachine.co. Don't forget to use coupon code BOOKSCLOSED for $50 off, and stay up to date with course information by following at machinemachine.co on Instagram.
2: So, but the let me go down at 14 was quite a deal. Not to raise holy hell about me coming home with a tattoo. My mom said, oh, I saw that, because uh, I waited for it to heal up. Mm -hmm. Because that's the one thing that um, individual colors and individual steam sterilization, there was never one that I know of other than one that supposedly happened in 1876 about the transmission of syphilis where a tattoo artist was caught, tried, and convicted of it. Really? And that was back in the old hand poke days. And the guy, they had the habit of wetting. The dry pigment was saliva on the needles, uh-huh. and the guy tattooed somebody that was syphilitic. He, he got a chancre, uh-huh. chancreoid. That's the first stages of syphilis. That's where the spirochete enters the skin, then it causes an ulceration. Then, after it's established itself, it goes internal. Then that chancreoid will heal up, and uh, so he's sitting there, I guess, putting it right in that ulceration, uh. and and poker, uh-huh. And I don't know, I've seen it in print, but it wasn't actual print of the day, like a newspaper or something, and it's been quoted many times, but, I, but I'm sure that it happened, or, um, well, everything in the world's happened at one time or another. So, but there was never any, even when we was working with sponges and buckets, um, God, I call that the good old days. <laughs> I mean, I'd be sitting there tattooing next to the bus station, and this is between 60 and God, I don't even know what year we switched over. I know with, just as I moved into that tattoo shop on 7th Street, we became aware of hygiene. Mm-hmm. I mean, because New York City had been just outlawed. Mm-hmm. And the you know, doctors go to college to learn how. And they teach them in college how to sterilize, and they teach them about germs and stuff like that. There's nobody that teaches us that stuff. We had to teach ourselves. Yeah. You know, so I've always been proud of the tattoo community by grabbing themselves by the bootstraps and mm-hmm. pulling themselves up out of the mud. Yeah. And I don't think there's a, a more conscientious bunch of gutter snipes <laughs> <laughs> in the whole wide world. Right. <laughs> because... <laughs> They love what they do so intensely that they're, they, they over amp. They overdo it. I was at Ink Slingers Ball, and there was a guy tattooing down there in a plastic bubble. Yeah. And it had some kind of a breathing device on it. And he'd have to, yeah, and all our people through the plastic bubble. Oh Jesus Christ, he went to one of APT's uh yeah. airborne pathogens uh-huh. business you know <laughs> but I went to one of those also because I volunteered when the APT started uh, I was uh, retired, I wasn't tattooing and in fact I was on a, like a hiatus for a few years and they, uh, I stopped back and seen the woman who founded it and they were friends and spent a couple days there and she talked me into going out and She'd sent me all the propaganda on joining it, but I was I was retired. I didn't did need to join it. Right, right. I maybe should have on a support basis, but you know, cheap. And uh, so I went out and did a seminar that I got out of my collection called Shit Pits, and it was a slideshow on just foul operation or the way it was before. It wasn't foul then. Right, right, right. no rubber gloves. That's the last thing that we did. Now to think about that that hand right there has been under zillions of goddamn rotten armpits. (laughs) You know, I would like to, I was going to do a cartoon one time and I showed a guy, a tattoo artist, these sort of customer would be here and he'd have his hand out like this and the fucking hand is just gnarled, gnarled and black and <laughs> smoking and he said what kind of deodorant are you using because <laughs> so there was no big tattoo epidemics and everything else those were the good old days maybe somebody i'd be tattooing somebody somebody running got it i gotta catch a bus in 10 minutes I'm going to be busy for half hour. God, it's only ten minutes. And I said, get under here. And I yeah. just, I, oh, I just go ahead and put a line on there. I've, I've generally always established a contour line, you know, fore and aft, and then always a center line. Because so being in a hurry, and if you don't establish that center line, you can get in trouble. <laughs> People... Talking about freehand tattooers, I only know I've only known a two. Um, I knew, well, I know another one supposedly, but he didn't work freehand. Ronnie Akers you've heard of him over in England? I've, I've seen Pinky do it. Well, now, Pinky would be a third one, but I haven't been around Pinky that much. He's actually, he pre on me. Okay. Well, yeah. no, yeah. a dragon or something? Tiger, yeah. <laughs> dragon okay.
1: and tigers. Yeah. That's no,
2: that isn't artistic talent, that's tricks. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, God, I mean, Pinky, I, I don't know where the hell we got together at, but we flew on the same plane to, uh no, wait a minute. Maybe we did was yeah, it must have been the same plane. The same plane over and back to Italy. Uh-huh. And you know it, for the eighty yeah. five? Yeah. Something about the, the zebra show. Zebra and yeah. zebra, the horse dumb fucking name for zebra. <laughs> but, but you know. Oh well, they had they had a tattoo. They but they got it from Hardy. Yeah in a private appointment you know they, they didn't have no drunken Yokohama tattoos <laughs> I just figured out the other day how you uh, they're talking about old school now there's people that call it old school The dumb bastards don't even know how to spell school <laughs> but it wound up that uh, <clears throat> old school I heard Paul Booth say, "Well, us old school guys," and I fucking air you know, what What is it? Hyperventilating? <laughs> I didn't want to even know I was laughing. Hey, that's good. I'm a cherry. I have got the reason I went to switched over. To this is a transitional computer, a couple of years old. And it was going from one, these are the best, of those are bings, and I don't know what those are called, Lamberts, I, I think. But those, eat those red ones, I've had a bunch of them. <laughs> they are the best. The bing is like, it's medium. Mm-hmm. It fill you up. Cherries is my favorite group. But I've got two or three pages. I think it's two pages. Um, uh, I haven't done it in a long time, but I love to scan. And scan information of this thing. And this thing's got 60 gigs in it. And then I got I got 120. Backup. And then this little basket here. 60 gigs FireWire, <laughs> and he just plugged the master in, and uh, it just automatically starts backing up, it just backs everything up. But I'm now getting the dialogue box. I haven't got much memory left in this, but I don't know what I want to give up. But I was going to show you some of my shit pick, shit pic- shit pit pictures, <laughs> and then I've got a bucket that uh, I bought a tattoo, a guy went home one time from Monterey, California, he went home. Well, he was home that weekend, he died. And so I, got, I knew the guy that ran the arcade, he is his, and he said, George De Silva died, and you wanna buy his tattoo stuff, and I said, God, I haven't got the money right now, because I was raising kids. Mm-hmm. Making the house payments, you know, I fell in the budget crap like everybody else. And um so he's well I'll talk to the widow and see what I can get it for you for. So he calls me up and he says, Uh can you, can you, can you come up with 150 bucks? <laughs> I got like twenty-two tattoo machines, all the flash off the walls. I mean god damn, it was such <laughs> <some> travesty. <laughs> <laughs> This was about three months after George had died, sitting right by his chair, that whole tattoo shop, just the way he folded the lap cloth up and put it over the back chair. And so I dumped that bucket out when I was moving and there was about 200 rings in it because he didn't have a place to rinse it out, Uh couldn't get it to some itch in the sink in the bathroom, and maybe the arcade didn't have a bathroom or something. Anyhow, he had just jumped it out, put new water in it, and put jelly was green soap. Uh-huh. And a lot of people would use saffron chloride. I did for years, and then somebody told me one day that was like a doctor, or somebody in the know, at least, that, um, of, uh, you know, that tincture green soap, or whatever it is, if that'll kill that sephyrin chloride. Well, it kept me happy for years. Because <laughs> thinking you're doing good is just as good as doing good, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but no problems came up about all that stuff anyway, do you know what Mm-mm. I mean? Yeah. No yeah. epidemics. Yeah, there was no problem anyway. The 1960, hit. New York City went down, and that's when I first started getting my first um, publicity was in 1960. I mean, that was very sparse. So, in looking at what's changed the face of tattooing today, it's, um, this is shit that's going to be in my book. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not writing no fucking books because the right is not to live because you're reliving at least that's my excuse <laughs> <laughs> or then my other answer is no content <laughs> no content the <laughs> fuck you won't waste your time on that one <laughs> the first time a tattoo ever 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 got goddamn worldwide mention in the press in the media was when New York City went down. When the five boroughs of New York City was outlawed. The homologous cerebus hepatitis B was they're up to H now or something like that. But I remember they used to call it you never heard the word Hepatitis, it was yellow jaundice. You know? Yeah. And um, so got upset in San Francisco, but it, you know, you're thinking about a domino effect, and I'd be the last guy they took out. Because I'd probably, be the furthest westerly tattoo artist, mm-hmm. other than if somebody was in Alaska, they were, there was nobody <laughs> up there then, but. Um, so everybody got in and they started looking in their own direction, there was no communication. Mm-hmm. There was no nothing. But what happened was that, it, so that press started at the top and trickled down uh-huh. instead of going up the other way. And um, so I guess news editors or something in local newspapers would send some reporter out to dig up some more dirt about these tattoo artists and they'd go down there and run across Doc Forbes of um, Vancouver, uh-huh. media friendly, really <laughs> media friendly. I was in San Francisco, media friendly, you know? Mm -hmm. Very few tattoo artists were. Right, right. So, that, now you started getting locally some, an article that's done on sort of a a personal interest basis Mm -hmm. instead of like, you know, because that reporter goes back and he said, God damn, there's a story there, you know? And, so that's, so, tattooing is so powerful that it turned a negative a heavy negative, in to a positive. And then, six years later, in Chicago, Illinois, there was a guy who killed and raped six nurses. And he had um, tattooed on his arm a devil with born to raise hell around him. Oh. That was Richard Speck. So there was people... A few people come in and wanted the same tattoo. I mean, wanted to duplicate it. I mean, what fucking you know? <laughs> but here's tattooing mentioned in a big level national. I mean, it was in everything. Right. People forget pretty quick. But tattooing was mentioned, and it was in the in the printed word is the most powerful word there is. You could television, radio, that stuff. It's there and it's gone and never remembered. But the printed word just is, is there. And um, that helped tattooing right along. So here was two negatives that were turned into positives. And, and then the magic thing happened. Women's liberation. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, one day, the uh, 50% of the human race was opened up. I mean, our our base of business operation was doubled. Mm -hmm. in the matter of a few months because and tattoos are ideal for women they paint their toenails they curl their hair and they augment everything in between one way or the other and um, so guys just get tattooed to look tough down at the pool hall (laughs) but women get tattooed because they'll sit there and talk to you about vitamins and exercise and they don't smell like oil, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so when they came along, that was a perfect marriage. And I yeah. love to do little tiny tattoos because I like to do anything fast. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And and I was, it was ideal. So I, and it just made my own life because it's so. It's back to that most fortunate man in the world business. So now this gave me. The opportunity to staff my shop properly and be gone, okay. uh-huh. so I, that's when I would take trips to okay. Samoa and all over, you know, researching tattooing. But you know, I wasn't researching as much as I was down and sucking in the ambiance because yeah. it was a personal. Thing. It was. But I think I mean, at I that took time pictures. you were. Yeah, that's what I mean. Though that
1: was what was like now. If someone does it; it's not that big a deal because you did it then. So I think that's what made it research. You might yeah. have just gone for the, your own reasons. Exactly. But because you, you know I mean that's like, we all have seen that photo of you with your long hair getting tattooed in Samoa. Yeah. You know, like so, I mean then now years later I'm asking you about it. You know? <laughs> so I mean but that's the kind of thing like you know I don't think you probably didn't think you were being groundbreaking at the time. You know, well,
2: well, I, well, I, yeah. Well, you know the reason I went down there was i I'm tattooing down there in Seventh Street. Mm-hmm. This is now this is bef- let's see. I opened a tattoo shop up, up July 1st, 1960, next to the Greyhound bus station. But before that, I'd been over in an arcade, and then I'd went down and was down at 139 7th Street, which was a block down from the bus station, A tattooed down there for about six months, waiting to get this location. I finally bugged this guy into this location. It was the best fucking tattooed location. Talking location in the world. best fucking location in the world. It was, And it was upstairs, too, and so you get rid of the looky moves. But... I learned some, um, you know, upstairs locations. I I put my tattoo shop over after I bought that building in Columbus Avenue, so I had two there in the city for a while. It went up and turned, and it was a narrower staircase because it was like a a residential flat type of building. Um, It it alienated people. But 7th Uh Street had a stairway that was about three and a half foot wide, Mm -hmm. and... 29 steps that had a landing, and you looked up there, and it was brightly lit up on top, and everything else. It just sucked you up those stairs. Oh, okay. And then, plus, I had some friendly signs on the stairs. Like, the first one said, Do not run. <laughs> and then the next one said, No food or drink. And then the last one said, I still have those signs, um, um, No dogs or personal checks. <laughs> 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 and then another sign, and I still got it too, of course, was uh, just one that hung out over the door that said uh, tattoo. Uh-huh. And then down below in smaller letters it said, while you wait. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And believe it or not, that got some goddamn publicity a few times. Because people, you know, like reporters, get a kick out of it. Uh-huh. I mean, it was, and so everything, well, it's all psychology, yeah, yeah. sales psychology personal psychology so that, I, that covered my travels pretty much so I would you know uh, but t- true I was trying to be good to it be a researcher but not being out of the academic world right, and sort right, of tough right, right. but I took pictures in Samoa
1: mm-hmm.
2: but I think there's probably more coming back and looking at myself and then uh, the, also the gal that I was traveling with was a photographer oh, okay. Um, well, she was a model actually, and <laughs> but it's such a pain in the ass being sleeping with somebody that's in the biz of some kind because they go to show ups so and they don't get the job and they come home and they're funk and you got to deal with the funk. <laughs> well, I told her, and she could turn on in front of a camera. You break the camera out, and she just right, right. And it, they, those professionals, that they're that way, you know. I've seen my, I've looked and posed with models, and there'd be like a hundred pictures there, and she looks good in all hundred <laughs> pictures. I look good maybe one, <laughs> you know? So anyhow, I, I said, if you can turn them on, if you can turn on in front of the camera, why can't you turn them on if you're in the back of the camera? And so she's become a well-known photographer. And... Um, so I had her with me, and she's about that big around, anyhow. Anyway. Right. And them Samoans say, Send her home. We'll fix you up a real woman.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> they just thought I was. A, my taste in women, I was just a dork. Well, look, look at this guy here. See? His name's Lyla too. All oh, fucking things. I don't. It, you know something? I'm such a dinosaur. Everybody says he's such a nice guy and everything else. I think he runs a framing shop in town. I absolutely run when I see, because <laughs> I that, that tattooing on the face bugs me. I mean, it's there has to be some type of insanity there. I'm talking about where I came from, my time and space. Mm-hmm. Nobody else's. I'm only right. speaking for myself. We're only products of our environment. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, that. Um, that just... It, it frightens me. <laughs> it's too weird. I mean... I, that Tracy was here today. He's starting to get heavily tattooed. And, you know, he promotes that show and he's doing that one in San Francisco. I thought... Don't go through all that goddamn torture, getting drilled all the shit, getting a tattoo on. Just get a fucking moko and end it. Get your face covered. I never... Back in my day, they... Well, there was people that would tattoo you on the hands, mm-hmm. you know, and there was some you know, there was some drunks that would tattoo you in the face too. Right. Probably right. didn't right. give a shit. I mean, they just wanted to make a buck. But to be a tattooer, you got to have a conscience and reviews. Uh, she really should, yeah. And because uh, you know what you do to people lasts them a lifetime. I mean, you're mm-hmm. altering right, your fucking life forever. Yeah. Now with lasers. But I guess the laser hurts about 10 times worse. It takes a long time. And I can't can't visualize anything hurting worse, 10 times worse than a tattoo. I mean, that must feel (laughs) fairly bad. (laughs) (laughs) And it depends where it's at. It's all hooked to the same central nervous Mm -hmm. system. But god damn, there is some spots that... (laughs) <laughs> oh, Ed was going over there to have Horiyoshi the second tattoo on him. And I told him, well, first of all, and I watched him tattoo. Uh-huh. I says, first of all, you better give that old turd that tattoo machine tuning lesson. Because <laughs> <laughs> he had square, he did goddamn gorgeous work. Right. But boy, he put people through the numbers. Because they was paying, he had a young Yakuza in there one night that was laying down in the haircut, the whole yeah, business. Yeah. He had a finger that was all scabbed on the end. So he was going <laughs> fuck up in some direction. right? And uh, he was laying down, and he was going up here, and the muscles in that guy's back was actually rippling, trying to get away from that <laughs> goddamn needle. Huh? Yeah. And I mean, this was a tough kid that was right, laying there, right. too. But... Uh, so, because they had taken squareback Joneses and throw the dual coils away, and they had put in goddamn AC solenoid that the type that has a it's like a W, and the one coil fits over the middle leg, right, and then it had a a, a jury rigged uh, flat spring on it, and then it had a. a, a and it's AC, and so to keep from hysteresis from heating it up, they, they use laminated uh, cores and laminated armature bar. Well, it sounded like as bad as a Cindy Ray machine. <laughs> and they just, they run, t- well, it's the same thing. All right. and, and believe it or not, that when um, the Australian National History Museum, uh, of the, Cindy Ray was an Australian girl and uh, was a figurehead for a, for a tattoo empire in the right, 60s, yeah. and uh, so they had they also had a supply business and they had these Cindy Ray machines. Mm-hmm. Well, they wanted to have that and a power supply in their show in Canberra. They couldn't find one of those in Australia. Now, Tony Cohen did, but he said I told him to buzz off or something. He wouldn't lend it to him, But in looking through all the records, and everything it was like the most of that stuff had went to Japan, hmm. so they might be some they're buzzing around in Japan yet. But I'm sure those I mean, goddamn mechanically, uh, you know, astute people. So I'm sure that they're running some top of the line stuff over there, but not. <laughs> well, I haven't been over there a long time, but I know that Hardy fucked Nakano. <laughs> What a... He... Ah, damn. He tattooed me. Uh Um, Well, he went from... It's not much. It it, it ends with 85 down here. And it says... Oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see the Well, you meet Horiyoshi right here. Okay. In Japanese. And then made made in Rome. <laughs> made in Rome, 85. Uh, okay. Because <laughs> he was doing mantras. Uh-huh. So I told him, so he's interpreted, because he, at that time, if he's speaking English now... A little smattering. Just looking a little now, so back then it must have been next to nothing. Oh, well, yeah. totally. And I yeah. speak a little Japanese, but right. I got to be three quarters full of sake to start <laughs> holding halfway conversations <laughs> or a few tequila and grapefruit juices or something. Right. But, um, so I made an appointment with him that night after dinner. And, it, you know, it's not a long, drawn-out appointment. You know, I told him, you know, for a mantra. So when I got over there, I said, I want no prayers for me. Mantra. He looked at me like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, because he's just copied them out of books. I think I told you about that on the yeah, phone. Yeah, And uh, so that's when I just said, I put your name on it, Made in Rome, <laughs> 85. I'm just, it's, it's a drunken... Drunken Yokohama tattoo. It's not right. nothing serious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got to keep it fun. And <laughs> it, it, exactly. And, it, and it's a commemoration.
1: Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that, that was a, a bonding thing. Mm-hmm. And then I also learned something valuable that night. He tattoos with like a chopstick. Big old long thing. And the needle's on the end. It holds it on the end. Guides it over his thumb back here. And I, Hardy's taking pictures. And I looked at Ed and I said, Has he started yet? Because I'm turning around backwards here. Yeah. And he said, Yeah. And I said, Well, shit. No wonder they get tattooed all over. Because <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't bad. Of course, I imagine if you lay there for four, five, six hours or something, the handful, I mean, for me,
1: like, like on my back, it was almost like scratching in some spots. Like it was almost nice. Yeah. But I tell you, on my ribs, it was. Really it Oh, it bruised around. Like I would have much rather gone machine on my ribs. Okay. It's like, yeah. Well, that poor it Hardy just, went over some there and got tattooed. It was like with
2: nice. But. Haryosi, the second, uh-huh. the old man, uh, 26 hours. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 26
2: hours. Hardy, you know, he's tougher than hell. Yeah. Yeah, I talked, We talked for about a half hour the other day when, Uh when, what is this thing doing now? One thing about it is, this this used to be a real quiet residential street. I woke up this morning and there's a diesel truck out here that was waiting to go in over here. The engine's down in front of these people's houses. I guess the reason they didn't complain was they they're old and they can't hear. (laughs) I probably walked, put on my bathrobe and went out there, and it was a woman, and I'd say she's probably about 50 years old. I bet she's a grandmother. Right. She's traveling by herself, and she's in this big son of a bitch, and she backed that thing in out here. And I went up and I said,
1: What are you doing
2: with that engine running in front of my house? 7:30 in the morning. Yeah, And she went, I said, you know, this happens to be a residential area, and she's, oh, she's, I forgot and she starts getting out of the truck and coming out, and she Dory turned it off and I said, look, you listen to that thing run day and night, all the time, and then those reefers, right in back of them so they'll come in and they forget and then she started following me up the goddamn sidewalk here, but like, thanking me, you know, and I say, hey, everybody's gotta, sometimes we forget everybody's gotta get along so, you know <laughs> but it was anybody really who flabbergasted. I went out and admonished her lightly. And then took it so easy. But what getting getting excited just generally fucking gets, does you more harm than it yeah, does anybody yeah, else. Always, always. <laughs> <laughs> I was going out of the hotel back in Philly. And R.J. Rosine used to get drunk. And he was checking that hotel. I don't know if he was drunk or just being um, himself. himself. Anyhow he's beaten on the counter at a hotel clerk saying you don't know who I am, so I hollered that Who the fuck are you, RJ? <laughs> uh, <laughs> then I got the RJ Rosini Award, Vancouver, Washington this year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I said, do I have to be drunk and abduct just for the next year until somebody else gets this thing? <laughs> Because he didn't die at that convention, so I don't know if I die this year, <laughs> it's gonna fuck your <laughs> And You're not gonna be getting anybody in over about twenty five. <laughs> he died over that weekend. They got that R.J. Rosini Award together so goddamn fast that weekend, they give it to somebody. I'm the second recipient of t- <laughs> He died a year ago. <laughs> now that's fast action. Because yeah. you think about stuff, and it was a good idea, but Jesus Christ, what an honorarium. I used to do this book, um, a, let's call it a pamphlet, Tattoo 70, if you ever saw that? A mm-hmm. little historical thing journal i put out. Uh, what do you want to call it? Anyhow, it was more of a pamphlet size, so I was not a writer. I was a pamphleteer in Thomas Paine. And uh, that's the first 11 issues of it right there. Oh, cool. And uh, so anyhow, they all had 44 pages. It's a long story how it got to be that size of format. Um. I had this one page left and I had to get something on that page. And then, well, you can tell I suffered with hoary vacuum. That's every goddamn, that's just a gag, an abhorrence to to open space. So, anyhow, that's, uh, I had this one page. I didn't want to waste it frivolously because I only had 44 to deal with. Mm -hmm. And Mary Jane Hockey calls me up and says in the morning, says, Julie Gr- Grimm died last night, nice is good. I don't want to do with that, that page. <laughs> She's always giving me the raspberries about saying that. But <laughs> well, I was relieved that I had something to do with that page. <laughs> and, and it's in there. That's a little, I uh, C. A, a I don't know what's out exactly, but I'll show you the ad that I'm talking about. It was, uh, I went down... I took the 11 issues, well, this is 10 issues I think, mm-hmm. but I did 11 all together, and it ceased being fun, I can't do anything unless it's fun. Um, this must have been a goddamn bad news day here, I did that whole page with her, <laughs> and she's. I guess she's mentioned here, I, I got two of these, mm-hmm. two different poses, and that's uh, there was there's a guy down in San Francisco who was a Japanese print expert. He knew the stories, he could read the uh-huh. things, and he was an Occidental too.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, so he was one well, these stories about all these. I got a lot of them. I got one one of them, at, I think it's the Kyoto School, which is, they did them in relief. When were um, you putting these together? What year? Yeah, the first one I think the first one I put out was uh, in uh, November of '82. Okay, and I had one down on the on the Queen Mary, Uh and people said, "Is that is it a an annual, a monthly? Mm -hmm. You know, is it a monthly?" I told them, "Oh, biannual and all that stuff." I told us it was a subsequental. (laughs) It's fucking cool though. Well, you know, it was. It was it came out when uh, goddamn it I got one out. And I have put one out in a long time. It's, it absolutely ceased to be in front and I I was I hand pasted every one of them bastards up and this is in the day, this is pre-computer, this is in the oh, day yes. when you had to deal with this awesome, goddamn venomous person called a typesetter. <laughs> huh? I mean, death. The typesetters and they, but they, there isn't such a thing in the world anymore, though. Yes, sir. What did they wind up doing for a living? It's all, Everything's computer now. You know? I know, it's but everywhere. what happened to typesetters? I mean, I don't know if you ever dealt with them or not. It's like they... the words in like those thermofax machines.
1: If it wasn't for tattoo shops, who would buy those? They're like True. refurbished from like old.
2: You always buy them used from like school districts. Well, yeah. in in ninety five, I went to. We went over and did that Moscow convention. Uh-huh. And I I wanted something that was unique for a business card or something. I dislocated my wrist this year. I had to get that ring cut off. And it was, for some reason, the fingers swollen up there and I'm just sort of spreading it. Cause, okay. <laughs> and I went to the doctor that operated on it yesterday, and, and he was smoking around with it. He did a shitty job. Goddamn. Most of the doctors up here are seven-day Adventists. I love it. I cuss. I'm the worst guy in town when I get around them Jesus jumpers. (laughs) I cuss. It just just brings it. it, They bring it out of me. It's it's their fault. What the hell did I I took these to, to a convention somewhere and then I went to another convention and I'd lost them by then. Oh, I went to the. I had them on the Queen Mary. That's my 2004 business card. It has my. Oh. <laughs> it has my email address on it. Um, That's the. The year that it was put out. My snail mail address. My cell phone number. My Sorry. sexual preference. People, <laughs> where, where? I do It's that Libra sign. <laughs> so. Peter. Wow, thank you. And everybody knows nice. where my business card's at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyhow, I wanted to, something... Well, this was at 80... was in 95, and I didn't start using these till 96. Uh-huh. So I needed something, and so I was out here at the flea market, and I'd never seen them before, and there was a things called pogs. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had just quit using them goddamn bottled milk. And they're thinking... Ah, we can buy all this equipment what the fuck are we going to do with it so they invented the game Pogs <laughs> so I would take the Pogs and just I bought a whole raft of them and you'd get them skulls and all that stuff on them and I just rolled them over and just autographed them and put the date put Moscow
1: yeah.
2: and hand them out like souvenirs yeah. and then I went and bought some metal ones and took a fiber tool and engraved on the back of it. You know, my signed it and put the date in Moscow on it. And he handed it out to, you know, special people. Like the, the <laughs> premier of Russia or something. <laughs> didn't get one because the bastard didn't show up. <laughs> You're gonna see them things on eBay. <laughs> people are gonna be bidding on
1: them. Well, Miles Huddle, signed <laughs>
2: I know. <laughs> now that would be something, huh? I bet you it's already on there by now. I, yeah. I once in a while well, I go on eBay every day, and once in a while I'll go up on, and I'll, I'll put my name in, but then I, I, I do tunnels, because I collect uh, stuff that's manufactured by tunnels. I think that's at the height of, must be the height of goddamn egotism, isn't it?
1: <laughs> collecting stuff that's...
2: <laughs> but it's, it, it's not a, a totally rare name. Mm-hmm. I mean... Anybody, everybody's heard of a tunnel somewhere Right. Along, but it still isn't that many tunnels no. running around. And then when I was a kid, it was a woman across the road and I was was preschool. They didn't have kindergarten in those days. But the first grade you started off. And her name was Lyle, spelled the same fucking way. And you know, even the the testosterone hadn't even started to pump yet, but you know, that sort of hurt my feelings. <laughs> and I remember telling my folks one time, why didn't you call me Billy? Or some goddamn <laughs> thing like that. But then it proved out professionally as an ideal name. Just uh, couldn't get anything more Middle American. <laughs> right? Country Bumpkin. Well, it's got a good name to it, but, you know. It does. Well, I, I you knew know, that it, easy to remember. <laughs> yeah. you, know that, you, know, you know the girl that uh, I was talking about that was the model type? Uh-huh. Her name was Robin Ryan, her real name. So, And we lived in Hollywood together. Wild Tuttle and Robin Ryan. And yeah. I mean, it, it just like just two big phony names. You know? <laughs> but I knew that it was a wiener when uh, someone asked me what my real name was. But I've been asked that before. So, but the first time that somebody asked me, it sort of set me back. I like, well, you know, hey, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> now I'll say, well, you know, my real name, because ninety percent of those rumors out there about me, I started. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Thank you to this week's sponsors, Eternal Inc. and Machine Machine Co. And a huge thank you to Taki Kitamura, who provided us all with this fantastic interview with the late, great Lyle Tuttle. Now, this is only the first part of this interview. So if you check out this week's extended episode coming at you on Wednesday, you can hear the rest of this conversation. So if you were into this as much as I was, there'll be more on Wednesday. If you're inclined, let Taki know how much you enjoyed this interview. All of his contact info will be in the show notes. Or head over to State of Grace Tattoo with a lunch or maybe a bouquet of flowers to show him your appreciation in person. I'm Andrew Stortz, and you can follow me on Instagram at Andrew Stortz, S-T-O-R-T-Z. If you want to keep up with the show, booksclosedpodcast.com It's got it all with videos and photos, everybody's info. You can even buy some merch because it's holiday season. And if you know someone, even if it's yourself, who loves this podcast, you can buy a shirt or a pin or something. And that's a great way to support the show as well. So thank you in advance, my friends. So like I said, don't miss the rest of this Lyle Tuttle interview this Wednesday on the extended episode 29. And other than that, I will see you all again here next time.